Um, this afternoon we continue on in our series, uh, Faith That Works. Um, we just have a few weeks left uh, in this series, uh, so we're taking time to unpack uh, the words of James 5 in, in one verse today. So we're looking at verse 12. Um, so let's have a, a look at this. Um, we're thinking about... Sorry, my iPad just completely crashed. Someone to TJ's. What's going on, man? Spiritual warfare here. Um, yeah, so I can't talk without the iPad, by the way, just a heads up. But, um, so yeah, we're going to be looking at uh, a truthful faith. So we're seeing as faith that works uh, in James, uh, and today's topic is a truthful faith. So let's have a look at this one verse. Um, so James, James writes this, Above all, my brothers and sisters, uh, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Amen. Amen. So Father, we, we come before you with reverence and awe and we ask that your word would be uh, planted um, deep into our hearts. Um, Lord, as as the psalmist in Psalm 119 says, that that your your word would be a lamp to our feet and direct us and help us, Lord, transform us, sanctify us by your word, for your word is truth. Amen. (coughs) Just past week, uh, I was in St. Andrews um, at the, the Scottish Baptist Ministers Fellowship Annual Conference. It was quite a big acronym. Uh, Jonathan Lamb was the main speaker, so he's like a, an author, a theologian. Um, he's involved in a number of different ministries in the UK, and including Keswick. Don't know if any of you are connected in uh, with Keswick. Um, and I know you didn't ask, but I'm just going to share something of my experience the last few days. So the food, most important thing, food was excellent. Um, teaching was super helpful, very practical. Uh, I think one of the strengths of conferences like this, so I would normally go to every year, but it's just a chance to be able to to be still before God and just to rest. You know, it's so easy in life, in ministry, to just get caught up, busy, doing, 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 and not being, not not stopping and resting and and seeking God. So just having that time of rest, um, but also being able to use that time in a way where I can network and connect uh, with other pastors uh, in similar situations. And um, how good is St. Andrews? Anyone been to St. Andrews? Great place. I love it. Um, I was with uh, Jimmy from Shettleston Baptist. He's a minister at Shettleston Baptist. And uh, we were walking through the centre of St. Andrews. uh, And we were blown away by just how quiet it is compared to the East End of Glasgow or Glasgow in general. Just the the difference in noise levels. Even right now as I'm preaching, I I could hear different things going off. But um, it's just such a difference between St. Andrews and, and Glasgow. Um, everything just seems to be nicer, prettier, more relaxed. Even the pigeons look more relaxed. I don't know. <laughs> um, so in the time of conference, it was about last minute. So the guy who was organizing one of the sections, one of the seminars, um, he asked me to share something of what God's doing in Denison. Um, so I was able to share for about seven minutes, um, unpacking something of the story of what God has been doing and what God uh, is doing within the life of the church. Uh, and one of the guys who was, who was there, it was like a seminar group, so there was about 20 of us just sitting around the table. Um, one of the pastors, he's one of the pastors of probably one of the largest uh, Scottish Baptist churches in, 
And he said to me after I'd shared um, that he was deeply convicted by the example of us, uh, Denison Baptist Church. Um, their resource as a church is significantly greater than ours in every possible way, um, aside from the fact that we both have the Holy Spirit. Um, and yet church planting is not something that's on their radar. Um, they've been too cautious. They've been too comfortable. They've been busy with other things. And so I share that uh, with you, not for you and I to, to pat ourselves on the back and say, well done, or to even get a big head. Uh, I share that so that we might be encouraged uh, to keep pursuing who we are uh, as a church family. Uh, last week, I was sharing briefly about how it is we're a church family who, who love people. We love people. It's our second love in our membership covenant. And I was sharing about how we saw that so clearly through the, the barbecue we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so we just had something as simple as a barbecue. Uh, and we just opened it up to the community and we were blessed as we loved one another as a church, but also as other people from the community came along. They heard about it through a pavement, writing on a pavement or just walking by. They were blessed by it. So we were able to love one another and also love uh, our community. Uh, and this afternoon, I want us to take hold of the fact that we're a people who love the mission. So we love people, yes, but we also love the mission. And what I was sharing at St. Andrews about what God is doing here in Denison reminded me afresh that we do love the mission that he has called us to. And that would be our, our sixth love uh, in our membership covenant. We have seven loves in that covenant. This would be number six. And this is what we agreed together back in February during our membership Sunday. We love the mission, meaning we are all about disciples who make disciples and churches that plant churches throughout our city, nation, and world. And Isaiah 52, 7 is a really helpful reference for all of that. So this afternoon, Denison Baptist Church, I just want to say be encouraged. Be encouraged at what God is doing within the life of the church. And of course, we can all be better in our walks with God. But I believe overall we are heading in the right direction. So yes, we've got challenges. Yes, we're still trying to discern certain things. But ultimately, we are moving in the right direction. Disciples who make disciples, churches that plant churches. Uh, I'm in the privileged position of being an elder. And part of a, a title of elder is overseer. So part of my job is to oversee and to see, just to observe all that God is doing within the life of the church. And what's so encouraging for me is that I do see this. I see us evangelizing non-believers. I see it every week. Um, I see us making disciples. I see us talking about the possibility of replanting, planting, revitalizing churches. So that brings great strength to my heart, great joy and encouragement to see this. And particularly as we see all that God is doing in Denison, Ridry, Springburn, Shettleston. So for a whole host of different reasons, um, I walked away from my time in St. Andrews, uh, really encouraged at the fact that God is at work. Um, be encouraged. God is at work within the life of the church. We've not got it perfect. Yes, we, we can move forward in a much more faithful and fruitful way, but God is definitely at work. And in Matthew 28 and verses 19 to 20, Jesus tells us this. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, <coughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this ties in with something of what I was sharing in St. Andrews. And, and there are two things I want us to take stock of what we see from these words in Jesus. Jesus says this, 
And the first thing I want us to focus on is the fact that when we read these words, we can very clearly see that this is our yes to God. So when we read these words, we know, I hope we know, what our yes ought to be to God. We read these words of Jesus and what he has commanded us to do here, and I hope we can say, yes, I'm going to make disciples. So Jesus says, go and make disciples, and our response ought to be, yes, I'm going to make disciples, as you have commanded me to, Jesus. That's the first yes, but there's two yeses. The second one, you might have overlooked this. Are we open to his yes to us? So our yes to him is, yes, I'm going to make disciples. But his yes to us is this, I am with you always to the end of age. So as God calls us to make disciples, his promise is that we will know and experience him in a much deeper way. I am with you always to the end of age. And I want you to take hold of that this afternoon, Denison Baptist Church. Jesus says he will be with us as we go on mission together. So my own conviction from this verse is that we will have a tangible experience of the presence of God as we actively choose to go on mission for him. It will be undeniable. We'll sense his presence and his nearness in a way like we've never experienced before. And if Jesus says he will do this, then he really will do it. Tying in with our verse in James, Jesus' yes is always yes, and his no really is no. So the question that remains is, will your yes mean yes when it comes to the great commission he has called you to? Will your yes mean yes? Because many of us have agreed this in our lives, and even through this membership covenant, we've agreed that we're a people who love the mission. We're disciples who make disciples, and we're part of a church that plants churches. But are we living that out day to day? That's the question. Are we living that out on a day-to-day basis? Has our yes meant yes in that regard? And I'm deeply challenged this afternoon by Jesus' words in Matthew 28, and how this connects to James 5 and verse 12, our verse today. So in James 5 and verse 12, what we see from these words is not just a helpful pointer towards living out the mission that God has called us to, but in a much broader and more general sense, what we have here is an essential marker for how it is you and I can have a truthful faith. And that we would not be trigger happy when it comes to oath taking. And we would be a people who mean what we say and say what we mean and do what we say and mean. Let me say that again. We would be a people who mean what we say and say what we mean and do what we say and mean, no matter how costly it might be. So for us to understand what James is getting at through this verse, we're going we're gonna to ask four questions. We're going to try and answer four questions from this one verse. So you're getting value for money here. We're going to just get the most out of this one verse. So the first question is this. The first question that's immediately apparent to myself as we dig into this, this verse is this, what is an oath? What is an oath? A simple question. James says to us in the first part of verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. So what is an oath? What is an oath? Well, an oath is simply a formal promise before others that commits to you behaving or acting in a certain way in the future. That's it. And in James's day in the ancient world, there were almost two different levels, two different categories of oath-taking. You had oaths that were binding and oaths that were not binding. So almost two different classes of oath. An oath that brought God into the equation, one invoked the name of God, 
was more often than not binding. When you, when you put God into the equation of an oath, you're basically saying, God and I are in agreement with regards to what it is I'm going to do. Um, and it was a belief that if God was involved, then God was an active partner in that process. And the commentators will tell you that in, in the ancient world, people would go out their way to body swerve binding oaths and look for non-binding oaths out of a desire to get what they wanted. Um, so a non-binding oath would be one which solely focused on the individual. So it didn't really have anything to do with God. It was a person's will and determination. If he promised through a non-binding oath that he would do something, then his promise was that he would do something. But as William Bartley notes in his commentary, um, this really helpful point, which I just want to share with you, this made a mockery of the whole practice of confirming anything by an oath. When you had these two categories, and when you had these situations where people would body swerve binding ones to focus on non-binding ones, it made a mockery of the whole process. And alongside the abuse of oath-taking, it was everywhere. Everyone was making and taking oaths all the time. Oaths were seen as being of great value when they were seldom used. But when they became more and more commonplace, their value became diluted. And that's just, that's just a part of life. And if, if something happens a lot all the time, if we celebrated Christmas every single day, it wouldn't mean anything. And in the same way, if everyone's always taking oaths, then it has no value at all. Now, I want us this afternoon to measure this um, against why it is that someone might actually take an oath. Why, why is it that oaths exist in the first place? Um, well, the reason that, that someone might take an oath and people take oaths from time to time is because our society is marked by falsehood. The reality is that people lie all the time. So the reason why we have oaths in the first place is because people lie. We all lie from time to time. If we lived in an honest society, we would not need this. It's only when there's a lack of trust in what someone might be saying and meaning that we actually need an oath. And so in that context, what is it that James is saying here about taking oaths? And this leads us on to our next question. So what is an oath? Number two, um, is James saying that we are to reject oaths outright or can they be redeemed? <clears throat> and at first glance, it would look like James is completely rejecting any kind of notion of oath-taking. So have a look at the first part of verse 12. Let's just read this again. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. And from these words of James and from other examples in Scripture, it would look like, at first reading, we should never, ever, in any scenario, we should never take oaths. And in Leviticus 19.12, we read these words. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, I am the Lord. And have a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 34 to 37. This is a really fascinating passage as it ties in with our verse in James. Jesus says, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of a great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Does that sound familiar? Anything more than this is from the evil one. And we have to see this afternoon 
the striking similarities between what James writes and what Jesus says in Matthew 5. And when you look at both of these texts, you cannot deny that they are undeniably similar. James is clearly garnering teaching from his big brother. Um, And from both Leviticus and Matthew, uh, what we see is a stark contrast, a stark warning rather, of the dangers of oath-taking and the manner that we've just spoken about. But the question still remains, as we've just taken a moment to look at these two passages, the question remains, is there any situation where oath-taking is in fact okay? Can we redeem this practice? Some Christians would say yes. Other Christians would say no. So there's not, I wouldn't say there's a broad consensus with regards to this. But if you look at the, the Anabaptist tradition, for example, they would take Jesus' words literally and they would refuse to take an oath, even in a court of law. This is what they say in their constitution. So they would say this. We commit ourselves to tell the truth, to give a simple yes or no, and to avoid swearing of oaths. Jesus told his disciples not to swear oaths at all, but to let their yes be yes and their no be no. Jesus also warned against using oaths to try to compel God to guarantee the future. In faith, we commit our futures to God. Throughout history, human governments have asked citizens to swear oaths of allegiance. As Christians, our first allegiance is to God. And I think there's, there's not a lot bad with that. I think there's a lot of good. We can take a lot from that. Um, I, would, I would agree in essence to, to all that they've said there. Um, it's just how that then applies to our lives on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think we can agree on the need to minimise the number of oaths. But to rule out oath-taking altogether as a practice that is outright evil, I think would be a step too far. And I want us, I want us to think of it uh, in this way. Um, if we have, well, let's just imagine it as two different kinds of oaths. So a voluntary oath and an involuntary oath. With regards to a voluntary oath, we create our own court before ourselves and before someone else. Uh, and we use an oath in a way that says that what I'm saying here is a lot more truthful than anything else that I've said before. So if you take an oath in, in a particular moment, in essence what you're saying is, this is more truthful than, than what I've said uh, in the past. And it might even imply that it's more truthful than things you're going to say in the future as well. But with an involuntary oath, we often have no choice in the matter. And this is most likely when, when we come before our court of law, if we ever have to do that and solemnly swear before God that we will be truthful in this moment. Um, Our own crown court witness affirmation is this. I do solemnly and truly declare and affirm that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So that's an oath. And I think that's a good thing to have. Um, Douglas Moo says in his commentary on James, as it relates to these particular words in the teaching of Jesus, the issue seems to have been the voluntary oath, the oath taken to ensure the truthfulness of, of what one had affirmed or promised. And Alec Mottier notes from his commentary in James, possibly we should start by saying that it is unlikely that James would find any difficulty in taking an oath when required to do so by a court of law. He does not seem to have this situation in mind, but rather how Christians behave in ordinary conversations and what they say in a purely private capacity 
the formal oath taken in court is part of a way in which we safeguard the control of speech on which James is so insistent. As those who love the truth, we should be glad to make a serious affirmation of our truthfulness through oath taken in a court. That's the essence. And this makes sense when you think about what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 13 and verses 1 to 2. Paul says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. So my conviction is that in, very, in a very small number of situations, we should take oaths in a court of law or something similar to that as an act of submitting to the governing authority, but it is not something that we should do every day. We should minimise the number of times we do that. It should be on an involuntary basis rather than a voluntary basis. Which brings us on to our third question in light of this. What is James's solution? What is James's solution? So if, if oath-taking was a, was a danger and an issue in James's day, and this whole idea of, of being false was an issue in James's day, but also an issue in our day today, no doubt about it, we live in the world of fake news. And this can be our own personal fake news. It can be fake news that we find in our society. What is James's solution? To answer that, we're immediately drawn to the second part of verse 12. Let's read the whole verse again to get the context. So James says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment shared briefly this morning those those words are like ingrained in my mind as a kid my mum always said like your yes mean yes and your no mean no so yeah I know those words off by heart I know they're not difficult to memorize but <laughs> so James's solution here is twofold from these from the second half uh, of James 5 and verse 12 his solution is twofold first off that you and I would be someone who says what we mean. We would be a people who say what we mean. Uh, we would not need to be someone who is constantly taking oaths because our words are our words. Our words are always true, no matter what. When we speak, we speak as a reflection, as a mirror of what is going on in our heart. That we would echo the words of David the Psalmist, Psalm nineteen fourteen. Our prayer would, would, would be this in essence. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a famous worship song. We sing this, this psalm. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock. And our prayer would be that there's this consistency between our hearts and our mouth, that, that we would have pure hearts that leads to pure words, and it would cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus as the one who has saved us. So the encouragement for each one of us today is that we would be a people who, first of all, before anything else, we would be a people who have a pure heart, that God would, would fill our hearts with love. And from that heart of love, we would always speak the truth in love. So it starts in here, and then it leads to words of truth. And the warning for each one of us as we think about living a life in which we say what we mean is that we start badly in that regard we begin with an impure heart instead of a pure heart so that our hearts are not filled with the love of christ every day and instead 
we are not responding by loving Christ with all that we are in return to what he has done for us. Instead, we are living for and living something else entirely, something which in essence is not grounded in faith and trust in God. So a helpful indicator as to whether or not you are saying what you mean, as to whether or not your words are coming from a pure or an impure heart, is how you apply these words of James to your life. And it's very hard for me to stand here today and to quantify this in your own life. Um, I, can't, I can't tell you if, if you are, if you do have a pure heart. I mean, there's, there's definitely indicators that I can potentially observe, but I can be way off on that. Um, it's difficult for me to identify you in your, in your own life, but without question, God through his spirit can reveal in your own heart what's going on inside. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And there are things from Scripture which are non-negotiable. We know what we, should, what we should and shouldn't do, and we know how we should and shouldn't be from his word. But there are other occasions where saying yes to something and saying no to something is actually quite unclear. Uh, we don't know uh, what to do. Particularly as we think about God's will for our life, and um, this is something... We've spent time looking at already in our passage, but I know this is something that a number of us uh, are wrestling with, with right now. We're just trying to work out and ascertain, God, what is your will for my life? What, what should I do? What is my next step? Um, and it takes you making a decision in light of what you feel convinced and convicted to do. But the, the key thing is that you have a pure heart, first and foremost. That, that you're making those decisions from your heart, but before that, your heart is pure, is right before God. Uh, what I would say as a warning to each one of us this afternoon, um, if you're always saying yes to stuff, if, you're, if you look at your life and people are asking you to do things and you're always saying yes, or maybe, I'm just throwing this out here, 95% of the time, you're saying yes to everything that's asked in all of your life, then that's probably not right. Um, or if you're always saying no equally, if people are asking you, can you help with this? Can you do this? And you're always saying no to these things. And again, 95% of the time, you're, you're always saying no. Then again, that's probably not right. That's probably a helpful indicator that your heart is in fact impure. Take a look again at what James says in this passage. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. And by implication from this verse, there are going to be times where you do say yes, and there's going to be times where you do say no. That's the reality. So James has the assumption here. You will say yes, and you will say no. So if you're always saying yes, or you're always saying no, something's amiss. So it has to be from a spirit-filled, pure heart that we say what we mean when it comes to, to us saying yes and or no. So secondly, um, we would say what we mean, and secondly, you would be someone who does what they say. You actually do what you say. So I'm going to do this, and then, amazingly, by God's Spirit, you actually do it. But our actions would, in fact, flow from our words. <clears throat> and some of us need to hear that this afternoon. I need to hear this. Saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. Sometimes you just forget. You know, you just, you're so busy, you forget what you've committed to. If you are someone of integrity, then what you say is a precursor to what you actually do. Um, with no need for an oath, we speak from the heart. 
And we may even use that phrase we've looked at already, if the Lord wills. So I'm going to do this. You actually do it. But you might also include within your own kind of worshipful response to this. You might even use these words as you're speaking to the person about what you're going to do, if the Lord wills. And in speaking from the heart, we follow through in action. And I know this is a challenge for all of us. I know we all struggle with this. And we're actually quite good at highlighting when, when other people don't do it. I think we're all experts when it comes to when other people say something and then don't do it, particularly public figures. And we show ourselves a lot more grace when it comes to this issue, no doubt about it. Um, so the encouragement to each one of us is to be a people who do, we do what we say. And we would recognize that our doing can only ever come from a place of his strength and power at work in our lives. So yes, you say you're going to to do something, but you have to rely upon God's power to then actually do it. And it's exactly what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 3.20. We read this. And now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So God is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think, according to our own strength. No, according to his power. It's his power at work in us that allows us to do all that we commit to do. So this afternoon, I want you to think about something that you have committed to do in your life. And I think it's helpful as you think about what that might be, that that thing is difficult. Think about something. I think we've all got something in our lives we've committed to do, and that's something we know is difficult, maybe even impossible. It might feel like this insurmountable wall before you. And you just don't know what to do. You, you feel perplexed, overwhelmed, um, unable to, to know the best way forward. Um, and as you look ahead to this, this wall that's before you, understand it was never, ever God's intention for you to try and do this yourself. We have to go back to Ephesians 3.20. According to his power at work in us, we can do. In fact, more encouraging than that, It's not just that you can do what you believe you're called to do in God's strength. No, instead, God will, in fact, go above and beyond all that you ask or think. So he'll make that thing that you're trying to do, you'll achieve even more than you expected. So as we rest and depend on him, he will break all the categories and shatter all expectations in order that you might be in a place where you don't just survive, but you thrive for the glory of God. So my encouragement to you this afternoon as you think about doing what you say, rely on his power. We all have to rely upon his power. And this will be the perfect antidote to pride or despair. So if you're trying to do this on your own strength and you're actually doing it, then it creates pride. You start to think, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm doing this all by myself. Look how great I am compared to these other people, these plebs. Or you might actually say to yourself, as you try and do it and then you're not able to do it and you compare that to other people who are able to do it, you have a sense of hopelessness and despair and you you put on sackcloth and you say, woe is me. And you start to have your own pity party and you play the small violin and it just, there's just a deep sense of despair. And relying on God's power is a perfect antidote to both of those scenarios. And all this brings us on to our final question from our passage. How does this relate to judgment? James mentions judgment in this verse. So how does this all tie in? And again, to answer that question, 
Let's just read the verse again. I know we've read it like 20 times, but we're going to read it again. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. This is what we're going to focus on, the last part. So that you won't fall under judgment. So that you won't fall under judgment. And James is visiting a subject which is so vitally important, a subject that's close to his heart, which ought to be close to our heart too as we think about judgment and eternity. The words that we speak are yeses and our noes, and whether or not we say what we mean and do what we say will in fact have eternal consequences for our lives. And this is something that James touches on. This is something we've spent time looking at as a church, both in James and also in our series, The Last Things. The connection between the words that we speak and the judgment that we face is vitally important. And we can so often overlook it. We just think we speak words and it doesn't have any eternal consequence. And there are many passages I could point to from James. But the clearest example is James 5, 9. Just a few verses before. I don't think it's on the screen. No. Um, James says this, Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. So do not complain so that you won't be judged. Our words have an impact on eternity. So our verse today is a clear echo of his words in James 5, 9. And many other words that he speaks of when it comes to the words that we speak and the earthly and eternal implications that follow. And the question I'm asking today in this last section in James 5.12 is this. What does this mean for us? As we think about judgment, as we think about James's warning here, how does this impact us and what we are to do in response? And we can be certain that for those of us who are in Christ today, if we have faith in Christ today, uh, the words that we speak whether we say yes or no and follow through with that will impact our eternal reward. So I just want to take our time looking at this because it's so important. The words that we speak are yeses and our noes and whether or not we follow through with that will impact our eternal reward. But we can also be equally certain that for those who are not in Christ, so if there's anyone here today who does not have faith in Christ, the words that we speak, whether yes or no, and whether or not we follow through with that will impact our eternal judgment. So for Christians, eternal reward. For non-Christians, eternal judgment. So the responsibility for each one of us today is to speak and act in light of eternity. It's almost the same for all of us. Believer, non-believer, we all have to have that vision of eternity. And we speak and act in light of eternity by looking to Jesus. Because, let's be honest today, we all need Jesus. All of us, every single one of us needs Jesus. And it's not just this one-off moment experience we have. We need Jesus every single day. That seems like a simple thing to say, but it's just so profound and true. We speak and act in light of eternity by looking to him. By looking to him. We need him for our salvation. Amen. We, we We would not be saved without Jesus. Um, if we have yet to put our faith and trust in him today, we can do that today. We can, we can trust Jesus for our very lives, both now and in the life to come in eternity. But we also need him for our sanctification. If we want to become more and more like Jesus, we need him every day. For it's in him that we become like him. As we rest in Jesus, we become like Jesus. And so I don't want us to look at our time today and think that James 5.12 
is this kind of be better. Be better in your own strength. Strive harder. Work with a more focused intent and seeing God glorified in your life. It's all about you. That's not what James is getting at. Instead, I want us to look to Jesus. In essence, this is what James does here when he points us to judgment. He's pointing to the judgment of Christ and the fact that we all need Christ, whether we're believer or non-believer. Because it's all, all of who he is. It's all of what he has done. It's all of who he has called us to be. We're called to be a people who rest in him so that we can find true, fee- true freedom and we can live out what is, in essence, a truthful faith. So as we close this afternoon, our final passage is, is 2 Corinthians 1, 20. And this is one of the verses that we looked at at the conference I was at. And just as I was preparing throughout the week for today, for this message, it just really stood out. And it just ties in with, with all what James has written here. 2 Corinthians 1, 20, the Apostle Paul says this. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a down payment. So when Paul says this, he's not calling us to a life where we always say yes, 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 yes. But rather a life that's always in Christ. And all of Christ's promises in his word are yes. Because his promises are in him, in Christ. So when you say yes to something, in essence, I hope you can say in Christ, yes. It's not just yes, you're saying in Christ, yes. And when you say no to something, in essence, what you're doing is you're saying in Christ, no. And let it be the case that you follow through with that yes or that no in the power of the Holy Spirit. What Paul writes here. He says, it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ. He has anointed us. He has put his seal on us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a down payment. So in Christ, yes. In Christ, no. In the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. And when you're uncertain about what to say and what to do, then seek the one who has given us all that we need to live for him, including a life empowered by his spirit, leading us into whether or not we should say yes or no in each and every decision we have to make. So Denison Baptist Church, it's all about Jesus. That's our conclusion from today. It's all about Jesus. Don't make it about you. This passage, this sermon is not about you. Believe in him. Fix your eyes on him, not on yourself. Rest in him. Don't rest in yourself. Depend on him. Don't depend on yourself. Live for him. Don't live for yourself. Uh, we want to invite you this afternoon uh, just to a time of response and um, just what I've shared already. We don't take for granted the fact that we can meet this afternoon and we have this opportunity to serve one another, uh, to encourage one another. Uh, and the invitation is is available to anyone who's never experienced the love of Christ. And they're, if they've never came to that place where they have said yes to Jesus, then there's an opportunity to speak to myself or to TJ or someone you know who loves the Lord. And we would love to meet with you, to chat with you, to pray for you that you might know God's love and experience his grace in your life for the first time and that you might be transformed, that you would become a new creation. If that's you, then do speak to us. And perhaps 
Perhaps you do have faith. You do love the Lord. But in this moment, in this season, you're finding it really difficult. So we are going to have tea and coffee after our time of worship. We're going to respond through song. And after that time, as we have tea and coffee, um, we would just invite you, there's, there's space here to be prayed for. If there's something in your life that you're, you're going through and you're not too sure about, you need his wisdom, um, and you would ask for God's leading and direction, then do speak with us, and we would love to pray for you. Uh, and this afternoon, we also want to recognize we, we worship the God who heals. And, and this is something we're going to look at later on in our series in James. Uh, and we believe that, that we, we have a healing God and he heals us of sickness and pain and ailment. And we don't want to miss out on an opportunity to pray for, for something that you might be suffering, uh, struggling with. Um, so do speak to myself or TG as elders and we would, we would count it a privilege to pray for you in that regard. Uh, and there's no guarantee that God will heal, but we trust that God has the perfect plan for you and he will use whatever you experience as a result of that particular prayer or prayers for his glory and for your good. Uh, this afternoon, so we can respond by coming to faith, we can respond uh, by casting our burdens on the Lord and by receiving prayer for one another. We can ask God for healing and we can allow the church family to pray for us. So these are three ways we can respond and if we do love Jesus, if we say we are a follower of Jesus, then we come to the table this afternoon. We do this every week and we do so because of the abundant grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ towards sinful you and I. Um, if you love the Lord today, the invitation is there to come to the table. And as we do that, I hope we can say, thank you, Lord, that through your sacrifice, I'm now a part of your family. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you are and for all that you have done for me. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing. If we feel prompted and led, we can come to this table. If we love the Lord, we're going to do that. We're going to take this bread and drink this cup and remember and rejoice in all that he has to us. You're more than welcome. Obviously, you may have to head off after this. That's fine. But you're more welcome to stay for tea and coffee. Fellowship is an important part of church family. And if you want, we can pray for you as well. So let's respond. In, in any or all of these ways, let's ask that God uh, would lead this remaining part of our time. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word and we just want to, to rest in you as we take time to reflect upon what you have said to us through your word. We pray that by your spirit uh, you would take hold of, of what I've shared and Lord, if there's anything of me that has, has been shared, um, Lord, I pray that you would just you would allow that to be forgotten and all that was of you, let that remain. Let that seed be planted in our hearts and may that bear fruit for your glory. Lord, we are so unaware of, of what happens in the spiritual realm, but we are so confident in the fact that, that there is a spiritual battle going on day after day. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would break in and break through today. Lord, if there's things that we are holding on to, you would convict us of those sins you would convict us of those idols. You would convict us of those chains that we have been, we have been imprisoned by. You would set us free by your spirit. 
and that you would allow us to freely live for you. So bless us now. Help us to live out a truthful faith for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.